0: Please stand for the reading of God's word from Romans 14, verses 13 through 23. You can find it in your worship folder. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord that nothing is unclean in itself, but is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace And mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But... Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Please be seated. Thanks, Jeremy. Let's pray together.
1: Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for um, this uh, service. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather, to sing, and to hear from Your Word. And we pray now, as we come to the Bible, that You would speak and that we, Lord, would be all ears and attentive and able to discern what it is that You have to say to us for our encouragement, instruction, and upbuilding. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and keep your Bibles open at Romans chapter 14 and from verse 13 to 23. Romans 14 verse 13 to 23 and as Pastor Jeremy said, you'll find that passage also in the worship folder right there, those verses that we're looking at uh, this morning. Thank you very much for praying for me last week as I was speaking down at Taylor University Chapel and uh, also Moody Bible Institute. Chapel. It was great to be there, see friends uh, down at Moody and at Taylor as well. I was introduced by one of our college uh, church students down at Taylor who spent uh, time teasing me for how I pronounced the word Isaiah. And uh, it was very appropriate for I was indeed speaking from Isaiah. It's good to be with you and back again, and I've been impressed uh, as we've been studying Romans chapter 14, just how relevant it is. This surprises me, and perhaps I should not confess that as a preacher, but of all the parts of the Bible that seem to be very relevant today, Romans chapter 14 would not be one that I would have chosen. It seems to be all about food and special days and all the rest. And how could that possibly be of any particular significance or relevance? Well, of course, the point that Paul is making um, foundationally and um, thoroughly is found in verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, he's saying that there are so many other matters here in Rome, it was these issues of ritual food and ritual days. But there's so many other matters that uh, we as Christians can become focused upon and get distracted. And we need to be reminded what the kingdom of God is truly about. It is not about the mechanics of church. It is not about, well, let's get really controversial. Who you voted for. Um, or whether you like the fact that we use music this morning or, or you don't. Uh, I thought that as a special treat, my sermon would be also a cappella. <laughs> These things are all secondary. And Paul was writing uh, Romans to get the Roman Christians to focus on the gospel of God so they might be a powerhouse for communicating that gospel and extending the kingdom of God, which is about righteousness or the declaration of being in a right standing with God through faith so that we have peace and joy. And that's what we'll be remembering as we gather around the table in a moment too. These are things that are of prime importance. And this will be an easy reminder for us at College Church for, as I've often been myself, Uh, reminded by people in the church. College Church has a historical commitment to, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, diversity, in all things, charity, or as we might put it, keeping the main thing, the main thing. Now, of course, the question then comes, well, how are we to deal with other issues and other matters? And so Paul writes Romans chapter 14. And in the section we just had read out, it's very simply structured around this issue of not stumbling or not causing someone else to stumble. So verse 13, um, at the beginning of the passage, don't put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. And then verse 21, verse 20, that causes someone else to stumble. This is an ancient way of emphasizing the main point. It's called an inclusio, the top and the tail of the passage. Don't cause someone to stumble. And then as he comes to the conclusion, what I'm talking about is not causing someone to stumble. And then right in the heart of the passage, again, an ancient way of structuring a text is the goal, which is verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of food and drink, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So as I say, the message from this passage then is keep the main thing the main thing. Don't get distracted by all these other secondary, non-essential matters. But then how are we to do that? And so uh, Paul then explains that. It's a bit like a step ladder, this passage. There are rungs that go up to verse 17 and then rungs that go down. Don't call some to stumble, don't cause some to stumble at either side. Focus on the kingdom, the main thing in the middle, how to do it rungs up, rungs down. Okay? So the first rung is verse fourteen. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced, or we might say, It is my conscience, my conviction that no food is unclean in itself. But, he says, if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. So this is this area of conscience. Paul is not saying that there is no absolute or objective truth with regard to these secondary issues. He is saying that they are secondary in importance. So he is fully convinced in the Lord Jesus that no food is unclean in itself. And of course the reason why he's convinced of that is because Jesus taught that. As Mark's Gospel Says Jesus declared all foods clean. So Paul is convinced that no food is unclean in itself. That is the truth. But, he says, if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean in his conscience. What Paul is meaning here is that if someone regards something as unclean and goes ahead and practices that anyway, then what is happening in their heart, in their mind, is that they believe they are breaking what God has told them to do. And therefore, that is a sin against their conscience. For him, it is unclean. So the first step in this ladder up to the main point of verse 17 is to understand this matter of conscience. There are secondary issues. There is truth about these secondary issues. But they are still secondary or non-essential, and therefore there is room for Christian conscience in these areas. When we get to heaven, we will discover who was right and who was wrong about baptism. And the Baptists will be very pleased. <laughs> you know the old joke about Baptists. How many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? Change? Change? There will be many things that we'll discover in heaven. And in this life, at this side of uh, death, we must develop a Christian conscience about all sorts of things while holding on to the principle of what the kingdom of God is really about. The kingdom of God is not fundamentally about baptism, and it is not fundamentally about food or special days or who you voted for or what you think about whether we had musical accompaniment this morning or not. You are free to develop your Christian conscience on those matters and read books and think about it and develop a right mind about it. And there is truth about those things. But they are still secondary. So the first rung is this area of conscience. second rung on the step ladder is love, verse 15. If your brother is distressed or uh, grieved because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. So, of course, Paul is now bringing in this love that is to be the hallmark, the sign of a Christian. And he's saying that if your brother is distressed because of what you eat then you're no longer acting in love. Well, of course you're not acting in love because that person is now grieved. What is more, you might actually, by your eating, destroy your brother for whom Christ died. What does he mean by that? Seems to me the thinking is as follows. If you are someone who believes it is fine to eat pork, let's keep it in the area of the ritual Uh, days and food laws. And uh, you eat pork in such a way that you offend or uh, grieve the other person. You flaunt your freedom in front of them. And the other person believes that what you're doing is wrong. But because you're so persuasive and such a strong character... Though they believe it's wrong, they follow you, and they eat pork as well, even though they still think that it is wrong. Well, Paul is saying, what else will they do that they think is wrong as well? What other areas of internal conviction will they break if they think that they are free to break that area? And so they might end up um, abandoning core moral commitments. No, we must love our brother or sister and consider their conscience. Second rung on the ladder. It was fascinating being at these universities this last week and finding out how often people are having this conversation about a safe space. Is that a conversation you're familiar with? And there are many different aspects to that. But let us then put it in biblical terms and talk about love. If your brother is distressed, you're no longer enacting in love. But then, verse 16, next rung up this uh, step ladder, before it gets to the main point in verse 17, respect. So he says, verse 16, well, but don't allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. So it it can work the other way as well. So in other words, what will happen if you're eating or drinking or breaking that Sabbath rule? Think what we said if people who then follow that example also go off and start lying or cheating or committing adultery. Won't other people who observe that trajectory of events say the real fault was when you didn't stick to those special rules about feast days? They'll say it's all a slippery slope. First, you don't ceremonially clean yourself. Next thing you know, debauchery. But, says Paul, don't let that happen. Don't force your conscience on these issues on someone else who has a different, weaker conscience than you do on those things. Because if you do enforce it, they might well then break their conscience in other areas. That could then impact their core faith. And that might mean that other people will say the real fault began when they started breaking those ritual food laws, Slippery Slope. And so what you regard of as good will be spoken of as evil. And so then he comes to his central message, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, keep the main thing, the main thing. If you are tempted to have a confrontational conflict, argument over some non-essential matter in church life? Before you enter into that, perhaps to keep the main thing the main thing, the first, the first thing to do would be to tell a non-Christian about Jesus and then maybe come back to that discussion about secondary issues. You're keeping the main thing, the main thing, and it puts everything else in a different context. That's the central message. And then he comes down the other side of this stepladder here, verse 18, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. So you keep the focus on the kingdom, the gospel, and the real point of church, not these secondary mechanics and secondary issues, non-essential matters. You keep the focus on where God wants you to keep the focus, on the kingdom of God that pleases God. But it also helps you in a relationship with other people in the community. It will be approved by people. So the way to have a community united is to have a common aim, and the common aim of Jesus' church is Jesus' glory by the gospel of God And once we focus there, people are going to be focusing on God for it is about the kingdom of God. Therefore, their minds will be thinking about the kingdom of God rather than about food laws and rituals and everything else. And what is more, Paul says, when you focus there, other people are more likely to approve that. They will say, that's really what church is about. Church is really about advancing the kingdom of God. Church is truly a tool for the kingdom of God. We are ambassadors of heaven, advancing the kingdom of God into the world around. That is our purpose. And so we love each other. We bond together for that great goal. People will see that and they will approve it and say, yes, that's right. That's biblical. Well, as he descends on this stepladder... He then takes the next rung down, which is verse 19, which is very simple. He says, Let us therefore, uh, very simply, he says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to a mutual upbuilding or edification. In other words, (laughs) this focus on building each other up for the goal of advancing the kingdom of God encouraging one another and say yes you brother have the gift of bible study and yes uh, you brother do not have the gift of singing the choir but you are a good something else you're building each other up for this great purpose and that is going to take effort in fact it's going to take all our effort Just think with me, this is something I have been pondering as I've been reflecting on this passage, think with me what would happen if all the conversation, all the discourse in the Christian world today on multiple internet discussion forums and in multiple different conferences and whatever, if all that conversation was instead focused on the kingdom of God and advancing the kingdom of God, what would be the result? I wondered to myself whether under God's sovereignty we might then already be in revival. We spend so much energy, so much effort talking about non-essentials, and I don't mean that here at College Church, I mean that in the church at large. And therefore, because of that, we're not focused on the main point, we're not focused on the main thing, and therefore we don't have the effort, the energy, to advance the kingdom of God, to our neighbors, to the world around, to the desperately needy society in which God has placed us as a tool of the kingdom of God. So we must build each other up, encourage one another, lock arms together for that purpose. And it's going to take, Paul says, very simply... Every effort. But then he says, he descends the next rung on this stepladder, verse 20, remember the work of God. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. Well, this is an area, of course, of discernment. The work of God, this kingdom of God, the expansion of the kingdom of God into the world around, if we get all focus on food laws and eating in front of someone else who has a more picky conscience and they stumble, or drinking in in front of someone else who has a more picky conscience than we do and they stumble, well then we'll be off focus, won't we? And in a sense, then, we'll be destroying the work of God because now we'll be distracted. We must keep the focus on the work of God Bible study, evangelism, fellowship, love. And to do that, then, uh, verse 21 it will require self restraint. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. As I say, this requires discernment. We must uh, not flaunt our freedom in front of others who have different views on these things. And even, Paul says, don't do it at all if it will cause a brother to fall. In fact, (laughs) verse 22, silence could be the answer. It's actually very striking in the original Greek here, I think. Paul, as it were, turns to his audience as he's writing and he says, you, you stop talking about these things. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. It's not quite a version of our mother's advice that if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all, but it is a little bit like that. Silence. Bless the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves, by talking about things that get us all off track. Soren Kierkegaard, the great Danish philosopher, once said that he thought that if he could have one remedy for the modern church and for the modern world, and he could apply that remedy to Western society, the one matter that he would give would be silence. Now, if that was true when Kierkegaard was alive, imagine what he would say today. With all our discussion, all our discourse, all our conversation, all our interaction and dialogue about so many different things that we are bound not to see eye to eye on with other people, even other Christian people. Well, Paul says there's a moment just to be quiet about those things so that the work of God the kingdom of God, the word of God can actually be heard in the silence. Now, he doesn't mean literally never say anything at all about any secondary issues, for he's just spent a chapter talking about them. What he means is there is a moment to stop enforcing your agenda on these secondary issues. But by doing that, you're not focusing on the work of God, you're not focusing on the kingdom of God, you're not allowing the word of God, the gospel of God, to be heard for all the noise and conversation about all these other things. People will associate Christianity with what people eat or drink rather than with the cross of Jesus Christ. It's a very relevant word to the uh, Christian church in the West today, I think. And then uh, verse 23, as he concludes, he comes back to faith. you remember that in chapter 14, verse 1, he has said that the, uh, uh, the, him whose faith is weak is to be welcomed or accepted, and now he comes back to this matter of faith. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now that one principle, the end, must be interpreted in the context of chapter 14. And in chapter 14, you'll remember verse 1 of chapter 14 says, accept or welcome him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. So Paul has helped us who are strong, not despise the weak in faith, and the weak in faith not judge the strong in faith, and reminded us to focus on the kingdom of God. That's the main thing, righteousness, the declaration of being right through faith, through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, the peace that comes, therefore, as we trust in Jesus, the assurance of our relationship with him, the joy that we have then in the Holy Spirit. That's what counts. That's where we're to focus. And now, says Paul, Even that weak in faith person. Now remember, they're still acting in faith. And therefore they should be accepted and welcomed as a full part of the community. Now in time to come, they may develop a different view. As they read books or think, they may become more mature and more strong and develop a more integrated, consistent view on whatever secondary issue that you may have in mind. But we are to let them figure that out in their relationship to God. Not enforce our timetable on their development, but let God work in them as he wills according to his timetable. So that then their practice remains in concord with their faith. For everything that is not from faith is sin. As I say, I think this is just very relevant to the Western church. We must be a church, and I mean not just here at College Church, I mean throughout the country, a church that is known for focusing on what the church is about, which is the kingdom of God. And that's a hard thing to keep in focus, and so Paul teaches here this step ladder of ways to focus on the main thing. Paul's goal is to get them to forget all the mechanics of church. To get them to stop forcing their agenda on other people. And let instead God's agenda, that is his kingdom, be the main focus. The main thing, the main thing. And as the other issues become less significant... And there is more silence about those other issues than the word of God in all its power and glory will be heard. Well, I think it's a brilliant passage and it's been fun studying it with you. Let's pray as we come now to the Lord's table. Lord, some of us will have uh, many conversations uh, this holiday season with family members who disagree with us and all sorts of things. Well, Lord, we do pray that you would give us wisdom to keep the attention upon the gospel, upon the kingdom of God. We pray for that as a church, Lord. We are about proclaiming the gospel. We pray, Lord, that uh, that would be our continual focus, that we will keep the main thing, the main thing. And thank you, Lord, as we come now to this table for this reminder around the table of exactly that, the death and resurrection of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.